Hey, what's up, young adults? How you doing tonight? You guys good? Feeling good? Looking good? No? All right. Hey, look at your neighbor. Give him a hug, a high five, whatever's appropriate for you. Let him know that you've prayed all week, that you would get to sit by them tonight, and God is so good because he done answered your prayer. Hey, any first-time guests here with us tonight? Anybody here for the very first time coming and checking us out? Hey, thank you so much. I want to quote Jay-Z here and saying, we appreciate you being here. We know you could be anywhere in the world tonight, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. Shout out to Jay-Z. Um, hey, I want to let you know up top, I think I say this almost every time, but I mean it. We will unapologetically lift up the name of Jesus, lift up the person of Jesus in here tonight. And maybe you came here tonight and you don't believe in God or believe in Jesus, but my prayer is that you would experience him in a real way. And first off, straight up, you don't have to believe what we believe to belong here. We believe that there is a God that loves you no matter where you're at, but we do believe that Jesus is who he says he is that he died and rose from the grave so that he can have a relationship with you. And so if you're in here tonight and you're not sure about God, my prayer is that you would experience him in a way that might change your mind. Or maybe you came in here tonight and you've heard about Jesus, but you don't know if he actually cares about you or knows who you are. My prayer is that you would get to experience the personal Jesus who knows your name and knows every hair that you might have or maybe might not have on your head, depending on how old you are in this auditorium. Hey, um, so I had a message prepared uh, going into this week, and Sunday I was sitting in this auditorium right over there and just praying, checking my heart to make sure it was what God wanted me to say, and this doesn't happen often. I feel like God gives me direction for a message, but God gave me a specific word for a message tonight, and I kind of had to change the direction that I was going, but I think it will resonate with everybody in here. I was praying and asking God, you know, God, we're doing this uh, relationship series and we're talking about dating and we're talking about being single and being married and having relationships that honor you and that you're actually pleased with and having a, a sex life and a sexuality that honors you and that you're pleased with. What do people need to hear tonight? What are people feeling? And the word that God gave me for tonight specifically, he just dropped it right in my heart is this. He said, people are feeling disqualified. People in here tonight are feeling disqualified. And I believe it's an emotion that I'm very familiar with, this feeling of being disqualified. Because I know when you come into a service like this, when you come into young adults and you hear about relationships and you hear about um, you can have this amazing dating and marriage and sex life, a lot of us in here might hear that. And, and be wanting that so bad in the depths of our soul, but this voice kind of comes sort of in the back of our head and says, yeah, but that's not really for you, right? Like, yeah, maybe that relationship is out there. Maybe that relationship is available to somebody, but not for me because I, I kind of cashed that chip in a long time ago when I did this fill in the blank or maybe maybe a great dating relationship or a great sex life is available for somebody out there but me maybe maybe I'm I'm addicted to stuff on the computer or or maybe I have that number that I can't give up and I keep on calling when I feel alone and maybe that's out there for somebody 
but me, not me. I'm, I'm disqualified from that type of relationship. I'm disqualified from God's best. You know, I might, I'll be happy if I can just settle for something that God's okay with. I don't, I didn't know, I don't think I can actually have a relationship that God's happy about, that, that like honors him. And I felt like the Holy Spirit tonight told me that that feeling of disqualification ends tonight. Like, for real. I felt like the Holy Spirit said that feeling of shame, that feeling of bondage, that feeling of being disqualified from God's best, that ends tonight. That ends right now. And all of us in here, we carry baggage, we carry guilt. There's something within the realm of human sexuality that I think the enemy knows that if he can break us in that area and give us this taste of brokenness within relationships, within dating, within sex, that it can skew so much within our life to a point where we feel like unworthy and disqualified to not only have a great relationship, but sometimes it can get so far as to affect the way we approach Jesus. But three very specific times in the gospel, Jesus approaches people defined by mistakes within their sexuality. Three specific times he approaches the woman at the well who's defined as a divorcee. She's been divorced five different times and is currently living and sleeping with her boyfriend. He meets a woman um, literally caught in the act of adultery. She's an adulterer. She's cheating on her husband, and she literally gets dragged out of the bed she was having sex in and thrown in public in front of Jesus. And we meet a woman that we're going to spend a little more time with who isn't even given a name. She's a prostitute, and she comes and brings an alabaster jar, an alabaster flask, and anoints Jesus' feet, and she's a prostitute. She's, she's dirty. She's unclean. She's disqualified. And every single time Jesus interacts with these people that are defined by scars and mistakes from their sexual past, every single time he meets them, he welcomes them. He protects them, and he speaks life to them. He defends them from their accusers, and he casts vision for what their future may be. And tonight, I believe with all of my heart that there are many of us sitting in this room that feel the weight of guilt and shame due to things within our past, within our sexuality, and within our relationships. And I believe tonight that Jesus wants to welcome you, and he wants to protect you. He wants to defend you from those who accuse you, and he wants to give you a vision for what your life can be. No shame and no guilt. And so tonight, we're going to read from the Bible, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. And so if you have your Bible, I know we're starting off a little heavy, but just bear with me here. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36, and we're going to read this story of this, this woman, this prostitute who approaches Jesus. Luke chapter 36, it says this. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus went into his house and he reclined at the table and behold, a woman of the city, which literally translated, that was a polite way of saying a prostitute, who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with, her hair, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus was actually who he says he was, he would know exactly the kind of person that is approaching him, this sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I actually have something to say to you. And he says, all right, Jesus, go ahead and say it. Jesus said, a certain man lent money to two people, and one owed him $500, I'm paraphrasing Connor version here, and the other $50. And when neither of them could pay it, the man canceled both the debt. Now, which one do you think would love this man more? And Simon the Pharisee says, well, the one I suppose for which he canceled the larger debt, the 500. And Jesus said, you're right. You judge that correctly. He said, turning towards the woman, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you didn't give me any water for my feet. She has, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't give me a kiss, which was a custom greeting in that day for a guest. But from the time I walked in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, though they are many, they're forgiven because she loves much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, woman, your sins, they're forgiven. And those who are at the table around him began to say, who's this person that thinks he can forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, listen, your faith, your faith in me, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. And the title of my message tonight is this, the labels and the lies. The labels and the lies. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, God, we are very aware that tonight I have not one ability to speak a word of life change, but when your Holy Spirit, who wants to partner with us, takes your word and makes it alive in our hearts, God, you can change anything. And tonight, God, I believe one of the greatest bondages, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is to take our sexuality, to take relationships, something beautiful that you've given us and twist them and use them as shame and use them to hold it over our head as guilt and condemnation. But tonight, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would break chains, that people would experience freedom, that people can walk out knowing that the depths of their soul is known by you and you say you are pleased and you you are forgiven. Go out in salvation. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move in here tonight. We look forward to lifting up your name, for you're the only name that can save. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, hey, after uh, swearing to my parents that I would never attend a Christian college because I thought they were weird and you had to wear uniforms, I ended up uh, finishing out my degree at a school in Florida, a Christian school in Florida. And one of the classes that I took at that school was a preaching class. And um, they would, you know, tell you how to read the Bible correctly and how to study for a sermon, how to structure a sermon. And then you kind of start getting some reps and, and, and giving some messages. And one of my professors approached me one time and he said, hey, you're not that terrible. Um, and we actually... <laughs> He's like, we actually have a preaching team here at school, and you go around to all these little churches around the area that maybe the pastors need a break, and we would love for you to join that preaching team. And I was like, absolutely not. That's the nerdiest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm not going to be a part of a preaching team. And he said, it pays around 150 bucks a week. And I was like, 
Lord, if you're asking me to walk through this door, I will graciously walk through it if this is your will, God. And so, no, so I was excited and I joined the preaching team. Man, like, what a cool thing to say on stage, right? But I was a part of this preaching team and I got my very first assignment, my very first message in the church that I was going to give it to. And so those like two to three weeks leading up to my first public message, I was just riddled with like anxiety and it was like the most spiritual I've ever been in my entire life. I literally like fasted lunch every single day. Every night I would go on like Jericho walks around my school. If you're not a Christian, it's probably a good thing that you don't know what a Jericho walk is. But like I was just like circling my school in prayer and anxiety. And I was like praying that God would give me a word. Like I wanted a revelation to to share with this church. And so the days were coming. I felt like God gave me a word and I felt like his word was this. I want you to go preach about chasing and pursuing your God-given dreams, living a life of adventure, not being afraid to leave anything behind, and pursuing your God-given dreams. And I was like, yes, Lord, I am ready to do this. And so the day comes, the Sunday comes, I put on my suit and my tie, and I get into my Jeep, and it's 100 degrees out with 200% humidity, so I'm just pouring sweat. And I've, I've turned up Hillsong, and I'm praying, and I'm like crying. I'm like, use me, Lord, you know, and uh, driving to this place. I put it in my phone, and I'm driving to this place, rehearsing my notes. And I pull up to this red little barn area sort of surrounded in this like community center. And I get out of my car. They told me to like arrive 10 to 15 minutes early. And so I, this really old guy greets me in the back, and he opens the door, and the pastor's there, and I shake his hand. And then immediately they're like, all right, we're going to start in like three minutes. So I just kind of hang out in the back, like flip through my notes. And three minutes goes by, this guy, like this usher, I guess, like leads me on stage, like literally. And I'm sitting in this throne of a chair, because that's kind of like old school church. Like there's like a big chair that the pastor sits in, and I'm facing everybody while like uh, one of the ladies is giving announcements and the worship leader comes on. And I've got this message about chasing your God-given dreams. But what nobody told me and what I didn't realize was my first public message was at a retirement home. It was at, it was at what we call a snowbird center. Does anybody know what a snowbird center is? On the East Coast, basically all these old people that want to escape the snow in the winter drive down to Florida and live in these communities. And so I'm sitting in this throne on the stage, sweat now just from nerves, but like sweating through my suit. And I'm just thinking, God, you know, like there's a story in Acts where God like makes Peter like vanish and like he's in like a whole nother city like or something like that. I was like, God, if that if that can happen again, like that would be great for me right now. And I remember sitting there as this lady's like leading uh, worship and I literally the door is like five steps to my right and I'm genuinely contemplating leaving like and I'm not kidding. I'm just like, God, what in the world do I do? And so, the, and before I know it, she's like, there's a young man from Southeastern University, and um, he's got a message on his heart for us. I'm so excited for him to share it. Here you go. And I like get the microphone, and no lie, like there's like eight or nine people on oxygen, like just waiting to breathe their last breath. And with all the boldness I could muster, I talked to them about pursuing whatever dream they had left in their heart. Whether it was beating Ruth in a game of spades or whatever they had on their heart, I just pre- I preached my heart out to this group of dying people. 
about chasing after the dreams God put in their heart. And I remember, and this might sound stupid to you, but I remember I got in my Jeep on the way, driving back to school, and I, a tear kind of came in my eye, and I, I, I'd never felt more self-conscious in my life. And immediately, I started hearing these voices in my head that was like, hey, you know that if you actually hear from God, like you would have known not to talk about pursuing your dreams to a bunch of 90-year-olds, right? I was kind of like, yeah, you're probably right. Like, and then I, this voice like kept on like whispering in my ear, like, hey, like, you know, like real preachers like wouldn't make that mistake, right? Like, you know, this probably means like you're not called to do this. Like, you're kind of like a fake, you know? And, like, you, you don't hear from God, really. Like, the way, like, like, real preachers hear from God. You don't hear from God, like, the way you're supposed to. And so why don't you just kind of hang it up? Because you're probably disqualified from this job. I mean, goodness, if anybody's first message was going after your dreams to a bunch of dying people, like, yeah, disqualified. And as weird as this may sound, that, that voice haunted me every week as I prepare messages and that my prayers weren't out of confidence but they were out of like this word like God am I supposed to be doing this like God like am I disqualified do I not hear your voice God and I think it's easy in a relationship series as we talk about the beautiful potential that we have to be married to have sex that God is actually happy with. I know that sounds really weird, but like it is put, it, there is like you're supposed to have sex and have this sexuality as a human that actually is pleasing to God. You can have relationships that are pleasing to God, dating and marriages that are pleasing to God. But I think if we're honest, a lot of us sort of in the back of our minds, like I was saying earlier, is like, yeah, like, maybe for somebody else in here, but, man, not for me. If you would know what happens in the dark when nobody else is around, if you, if you know what would happen when I'm by myself and you saw the, the, the depth of the darkness in my heart towards my sexuality, or maybe if you knew what I've done, or maybe if you knew what's been done to me, you'd understand. That's out there for somebody, but me... No, I'm just, I think I'm disqualified from that type of relationship. I want to look back at our story in Luke 7. And I want you to notice something here about this woman we're introduced to in this story. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to go and eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he was reclining at his table. And behold, there was a woman of the city, a prostitute who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This woman that approaches Jesus, get this, she's not even given a name. This woman that comes and approaches Jesus at this party is not even given a name. This woman, we know her by a label that she's identified with. They call her a woman of the city, kind of like a woman of the night, aka a prostitute. And it literally goes on to say a sinner. We don't get a name. We get a name of the Pharisee that Jesus is hanging out with. The Bible tells us his name was Simon. 
And we obviously know Jesus is there because he is mentioned by name. But this woman is introduced to us not by a name. She's introduced to us by a label, a label that has been given to her by mistakes in the past concerning her sexuality. I wonder how many of us in here have accepted a label about ourselves because of mistakes that we have made in the past concerning our sexuality. I wonder how many of us, when we're honest with ourselves, when we're praying for God's best, hear that voice that says, no, you can't actually have God's best. You're disqualified. Don't you remember? You're an, you're an addict. You promise Jesus all the time that you'll stop looking at that stuff you look at on the internet, but you continually come back to it. You're an addict. You're addicted. Or maybe the voice inside your head is, no, you're, you're dirty. You're unclean. Do you really think that that type of life is available for you? What label, young adult, have you accepted based off the, the mistakes and the hurt and the scars concerning your sexuality and your sexual past? I can only imagine this woman. She walks into this dinner that clearly she is not invited into. Clearly she was not invited to this. And she goes and she approaches Jesus and it says that she stands behind her and the hosts, they begin to murmur. It says the host, and I'm sure all the guests kind of join in. Oh my gosh, what is this woman doing here? Did you, did you invite her? Like, do you know who that is? If Jesus would know this woman that's like touching him, oh my gosh, he would know not to touch her. She's dirty. She's dirty and the eyes are piercing through this woman and she feels the judgment and the weight of people staring at her. And the Bible says that she begins to weep. The Bible says she begins to weep. She stands behind Jesus, hearing the whispers and the murmurs about the, the mistakes that, that haunts her past and, and her current life and occupation. She hears what people are saying, and she starts to cry. And I believe she starts to cry because deep down, I believe she says, yeah, they're right. That's me. What am I doing here? I'm a sinner. I'm a prostitute. Why did I think I could come to Jesus? She's just bawling, and I think she hears these whispers. And as she hears these whispers, she stands in front of the, the Savior of the world saying, yeah, they're right. I've accepted my label. I've accepted who I am. I'm dirty. And I'm disqualified. And weeping, the Bible says, tears running down her face, ashamed of her past and her current occupation. Luke 7, it says this, standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Now, when we first read that, that seems just a little insignificant, but there's nothing insignificant in the Bible. And as I was studying for this, many commentators agree this little detail carries so much weight in the posture of this woman. Standing behind Jesus was a posture of shame. Standing behind Jesus was a posture of shame. In this culture, especially at parties, when um, the host would go to greet somebody, you would, you would stand face to face, eye to eye. Uh, a friend that would approach you at a party, you would stand face to face, eye to eye. Get this, even servants working the party. Hosting the party, if they had a request maybe for the host or, or they, they wanted to give a gift to, to one of the guests, you approach them at their feet 
face to face, eye to eye. But this woman, it says, approaches Jesus, not face to face, because she's accepted the label that the world and the members of this party and, and the hurts and regrets from the mistakes she's made in her sexuality, she approaches Jesus from behind. This woman, this sinner, accepted the fact that she was unworthy. She was disqualified from being around Jesus. And get this, her shame now dictates even her posture and interaction, not just with other people, but with Jesus. Her shame from mistakes in her sexual past, maybe addictions, her job, it actually affects the way she approaches not just relationships. It affects the way that she approaches Jesus. I wonder how many of us in here, if we're just being honest, have kind of come to terms with the label that our sexuality and maybe things we struggle with within our sexuality has given us. How many of us in here tonight have just accepted the label put on us? And if we're honest, when we come in this room and we lift our hands, a voice in the back of our head says, Are you, do you think you can approach Jesus like this? And you know that, that this is affecting you when you pray prayers like, God, just don't give up on me. Will you give me one more chance? God, I promise that if you give me one more chance, I'll get it right. Jesus, please, please forgive me one more time. Just give me one more shot. Jesus, don't leave me. Don't give up on me. Those prayers are not prayers of a friend. They're not prayers of a son or a daughter. Those are prayers directed by shame and by guilt by accepting a label that has been placed on you by something that you might have done in your past. And how many of us in here have allowed our shame to make us feel disqualified that we can't even pray to Jesus or worship Jesus face to face. We feel like we just kind of want to slip in and slip out unnoticed, hoping that Jesus would possibly love us, even though the struggle that we're going through is real. But I want you to notice something in this story. I want you to notice something about this. <clears throat> I want you to notice who labeled this woman. Who labeled this woman a sinner? This woman, she enters into a party and she's at a dinner that she wasn't invited to. She's self-conscious. She's ashamed clearly by the way that she's approaching Jesus. And she's feeling the weight of the judgment and the labels being placed upon her. But who labeled this woman a woman of the city, a prostitute, and a sinner. Because it wasn't Jesus. It's not Jesus. The Bible says it was actually the host of the party, the Pharisees, maybe even the guests at the party. It says that the guest and, and, and the host, they began to mumble and murmur to themselves, sinner, dirty, unworthy, disqualified. What is she doing here? But not Jesus. Jesus hasn't said a word. Young adults, listen to me. The enemy of your soul loves to mumble in your ear. The enemy of your soul loves to mumble about things that you've done in your past, addictions that you might be battling, things that you've done that you regret, maybe things that have been done to you that you had no control over, that you regret, and for some reason it makes you feel disqualified, it makes you feel ashamed, it makes you carry this burden and this weight that was never meant for you. The enemy loves to mumble. 
But when you hear these things coming in your ear, the question you have to ask yourself every time, who is saying this? Because it's not Jesus. It is not Jesus who is saying this. And Ben, you guys can begin to make your way back on up. I've got a little while though, so no hurry. If Jesus isn't saying anything, well, then the question we have to ask is why? Like, what is he doing? Why is Jesus not saying anything? What is he doing with all of these things happening around him? Because he's at the center of this story. And this woman comes into this party and approaches him, and she's weeping, and she's standing behind him because of her shame. And she begins to literally cry so hard because of the guilt that she feels, because of the labels that she's wearing, that it's so bad. She has to take her hair and wash it off Jesus' feet. And as she's standing behind him, she actually opens this jar of oil and begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is just sitting there quiet, letting everything happen. Why? Why is he doing this? Because this woman offering this oil, coming and crying, this is all Jesus ever wanted from this woman. Her brokenness, her, her, the shame that she feels. This is all Jesus ever wanted from this woman. Oh, I just turned the mic off. My goodness. <laughs> this oil that she has in this jar, this wasn't a gift that she went out and bought for Jesus. This oil that she had in this jar was not a gift or a present to offer Jesus. Remember, this woman, occupationally, she was a prostitute. This woman was a prostitute. And this oil is like a perfume. This oil is a perfume. It was very fragrant. And what she actually used this for, this oil, was she would put it on herself to smell more attractive to men in hopes that they would come and sleep with her to give her money. This was not a gift that she bought for Jesus. This was actually a tool of her trade. It was a symbol of all the labels that had been placed on her in her life. It was all that she had. This jar, this oil, she lays it out on Jesus' feet and anoints him. And it is all she had. And I'm sure that the people at the party were like, this is disgusting, Jesus. Do you know what she uses this for? And he's sitting there. And this woman comes to Jesus with all she has, a symbol of her brokenness, a symbol of her labels, a symbol of her shame and her guilt. This was her saying, yes, I've accepted it. I'm dirty. Yes, I've accepted it. I'm unclean. Yes, I've accepted it. I don't deserve to be here. I am disqualified. But Jesus, this is all that I have. And Jesus sits there and he says, this is all that I've ever wanted from you. It's all that you have. It's your brokenness. It's the shame that you feel. It's the hidden parts that you don't want anybody else to see. This is all that I've ever wanted from you. And the Bible says that Jesus begins to speak in this moment. Something happens when Jesus begins to speak in a moment. 
And it says that Jesus turns to this woman. This was, this was a, a dignifying posture. Jesus was acknowledging her as a human, not just, just a thing. He was acknowledging her as a human, and he was dignifying her, and he turns to her. And the Bible says Jesus starts to speak to her accusers. Jesus starts to speak to the ones that were throwing out the label, and he begins to defend her at this party. And he says, those, listen, those of you that are mumbling, listen, those who love a little, it's because they've been forgiven a little. But this woman whose sins are many, listen, she loves much and she is forgiven much. And he looks at this woman and he says, woman, your faith in me, offering to me all that you have without trying to make it look pretty, without trying to make it look nice, giving me all that you have is all that I've ever wanted. And he said, listen, your faith to do that, your faith in me has saved you. He said, your friend, your, your, your sins are forgiven. Your sins, they're gone. And he says, go out now in peace. And this word peace, it's actually not shalom. Like, like most of us think that's the most common word in the Bible for peace. This word is not shalom. It's actually a word used very little in the Bible. And the word, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it, it, it is symbolic for messianic peace. It is the peace of a Messiah coming to save somebody. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, go and have a clear mind. Go and don't deal with anxiety. He said, your faith in bringing me all that you have has literally saved your soul. Now go in the salvation that only I can offer you. Be new. Don't let these labels define you like they've been defining your life. Go in peace. Young adults, the lie, the lie that the enemy would love to have you believe is that you have to accept the weight. You have to accept the label. You have to accept the shame. You have to accept the guilt that's been placed on you. A lot of us, for some reason, think it's an honorable thing to do. There's no honor in carrying a weight that was never meant for you to carry. There's no honor in that. And the lie that the devil wants you to believe is that you earn this weight. You earn this guilt. You earn this shame. Now wear it. Wear it. Let it define you. And the lie, the goal of the lie of the enemy is to try to get you to look more at the things that have hurt you or the things that you're struggling with and have them define you and disqualify you. Have you look to the things that are hurting your soul instead of looking to the one who qualifies you and rescued your soul and loves you. Don't accept the label and don't accept the lie. Would all of you stand with me tonight? All this woman had to offer Jesus was tears. All she had was pain. All she had was shame. All she had was regret. Everybody knew what she struggled with. Everybody knew who she was. All she had to give to Jesus was an oil that was symbolic of all the darkness, all the hurt, all the pain of her sexuality and her sexual past. And it was all Jesus ever wanted. It was all that he ever wanted from her. Tonight, on your seat, you had cards. On one side, it says, my past. And it says, the things that make me feel disqualified 
from having a, a relationship, a sexuality, a, a sex life, a marriage that God can actually be pleased with. Things that make me feel disqualified. On the other side, it says my future. Promises that I'm believing for from God. Tonight, during our first song, we're going to give you an opportunity. And I want you, if you've never been vulnerable with the Holy Spirit before, I want to challenge you to be vulnerable with the Holy Spirit. All of us have these places in our heart that we hide just for ourselves. When we come into church, we lift our hands like nothing's wrong. When we're talking to our friends, we put on a good mask. We put on a good facade because we're supposed to have it all together. But in the depths of our soul, I'm sure every one of us has brokenness somewhere concerning our sexuality. Maybe it's a, a porn addiction. Maybe it's, maybe it's sleeping around with somebody we know we shouldn't be sleeping with. Maybe you've abused somebody sexually in your past and it haunts you every single day and you feel like you are so disqualified from the love of God. You're not. Maybe you have been abused by somebody that you had no choice in. And every day, for some reason, you feel like you're disqualified because of what has been done to you. You're not. You're not disqualified. So during this first song, I want to challenge you. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart? And would you allow him to peer in and get vulnerable? And would you write those things on that card that you feel like disqualifies you from a loving relationship with another human being that honors God? Or maybe it's even something that you feel like disqualifies you from a relationship with Jesus. And we're going to have you write that on those cards. And you, and you can fold it up if you want, or you can leave it open. But I want you to come and to lay it on the altar. Because this woman, this prostitute, this sinner, all she had was her brokenness. And she brought it to Jesus and she laid it at his feet. And the exchange that took place was mercy, forgiveness, salvation, and peace. And I believe so strongly that tonight, if you're in here and you have a sexual addiction, or you have a sexual scar, a sexual wound that is defining who you are, it's a label that you've accepted over your life. Tonight, as you write that down and you place it on this altar, we're going to sing over it. And I believe that the same response Jesus had to that woman is the response that he has to you. Son, daughter, you're forgiven. Your faith and me has saved you. Go out in wholeness. Go out in salvation. Go out in peace. Ben, can we begin to worship? And can we write on these cards together?